What's up, Football MD fam? Welcome back to episode 52 of the Football MD podcast. I am your host, Dan Ronan, joined as always with my co host, Mike Bowling. And an episode that I'm very excited to bring to you guys today is my personal mock draft 2.0. We're going to skip the long introduction today and get right into the meat and potatoes because we're going to have a lot of information coming at you today for the mock draft 2.0. Just a couple of notes before we start off. Keep in mind, guys, that this is a fun tool that we use to, you know, not only exercise a little bit of evaluation skill, but at the same time, just kind of have fun with it. It's not something that we're really looking for 100% accuracy. There's some bold predictions in there. I'll point those out when we come across those, but definitely not the mainstream, stereotypical mock draft that you're going to see everywhere else. We try to be a little bit different. We try to be unique, and there are guys that we personally are higher or lower than the mainstream may be. We do our own research and our own film study, so we make sure that we're going off of what we see and what we believe because we do trust our insight into football and that's what we're here to share with you guys you know a different perspective from the mainstream yeah and the NFL draft is one of the more difficult things to predict year in and year out there's always surprises in every single round and at the end of the day we don't know what these NFL franchises are going to be deciding to do so again this is just a fun exercise and I'm excited to get into it so Dan I'll let you kick it off with the first pick here first pick something that I was highly against I did not have it in my mock draft 1.0 because I do not see the Cardinals taking Kyler Murray without getting rid of Josh Rosen first. But in this scenario, first overall pick, Arizona Cardinals take Kyler Murray, quarterback out of Oklahoma, because quite frankly, he is the best player available. And I do not believe in Josh Rosen at the end of the day. I do think they got to move on from him. Even if they take a significant loss in draft capital, they have to do it. And quite frankly, it is the right move. Their offseason signings kind of make this the apparent you know, right decision, and unfortunately, because I do think it's a little weird to draft and then move on from Josh Rosen that quickly, but looks like the move that they're going to have to make. It certainly seemed as of late that this is the route the Cardinals are going to go, but do you think, you know, you did this mock draft about a week and a half, two weeks ago now, the closer we get to the NFL draft, it seems a little less likely, in my opinion, that they're going to still be going with Kyler Murray. Do you agree with that? or? I definitely agree because, in my opinion, they do not draft Kyler Murray unless Josh Rosen is already traded. So whether that happens within the next week or so, it's actually eight days away, or whether it happens on draft day, either prior to the draft or in real time, before that first pick comes off the board. Otherwise, I don't think they draft Kyler Murray with Rosen still on the depth chart. Every day, the draft gets closer and closer, the less likely it becomes for them to take Kyler Murray, in my opinion. So I would agree with that. And next up here with the second pick, you have a little bit of a shakeup, not one that you see too often. So here, take us right into your second pick with the, or what would have been the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, but they trade the pick over to the Denver Broncos. The more I watch film on Drew Locke, the more I fall in love with him. He's the modern quarterback that can really move out of the pocket and really can successfully throw the ball on the move when under duress. At 6'4", 225, he's tall and he's got plenty of size. And as a three-year starter for Missouri in the SEC, he was highly productive and highly successful, which means he was playing good competition and really lighting up the scoreboard and the stat board his entire career there. And it is a little hard to see the 49ers trading out of this spot, especially if they have the opportunity to fill one of their biggest needs at defensive end with Nick Bosa. But if the Broncos pay up, that could certainly happen. We know there's a premium placed on the quarterback position. We've seen plenty of teams reach for prospects in the past. And like you said, Locke definitely has the potential. I do think he needs to maybe work on his vision and accuracy and just develop as a more all-around quarterback. But he'll have Joe Flacco there where he can that he can learn from and you know, take those next steps forward to lead a franchise. And now moving on to the third pick, we have the New York Jets and you have them selecting defensive end Nick Bosa. And we were talking before the episode, I think if Bosa isn't available, we could certainly see the Jets trading down as they currently don't have a second round pick due to the trade up for Sam Darnold last year. But whether they end up staying put and selecting Nick Bosa or even Quinn and Williams, who we both like a ton, I think both would be great moves, giving them one of the top defensive lines on paper in the NFL. Oh, absolutely. And quite frankly, like you said, if it's not for arguably the best player on the board at three, I do think they would try to trade back and recuperate that second round pick. But for me, it's Quinn and Williams 1A, Nick Bosa 1B. 
They're very close. I do think Quinton Williams is a little bit better, but I see the edge as more of a need for the New York Jets. So they go with Bosa over Williams. And uh, that'll lead me right into my next pick where Williams comes off the board for the Oakland Raiders. They take, in my opinion, the very best defensive player, the most impactful defensive player in this draft class. From the interior of the defensive line, he will create pressure on all three downs. He will be able to stop the run. He is a force in all situations. He is a high motor guy. He plays against double teams. Just all in all, he is a savage, tough player. I love his tenacity, the way he plays the game. And he obviously comes from Alabama where the defensive guys are coached up well. Coming from Nick Saban, they know how to play the game the correct way. I think Quinn and Williams, home run pick for the Raiders. They start to rebuild. And this is one of the picks here at four that I'm the most excited for with the Oakland Raiders because who knows what John Gruden and the Raiders are going to do. Derek Carr may be on the hot seat. It seems like they're pretty fond of Dwayne Haskins. But if Williams is available, this has to be the move, in my opinion, to help solve the lack of pass rush that we saw without Khalil Mack last season. That unit registered just 13 sacks in 2018. Meanwhile, there were 11 individual players that did that on their own last season. So there's a huge need there, and Williams is a great guy to fill that void. And next up at number five, we have our first cornerback coming off the board, and that is DeAndre Baker to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers are kind of in an interesting spot. They do have a lack of cap space, and there's been rumors that they might look to trade Gerald McCoy, potentially making defensive tackle an early round need. But the Buccaneers did rank 28th in coverage last season, and although Baker had a pretty poor performance at the Combine, that's really not something you want to hang your hat on. He was solid in 2018 and an absolute stud if you go back to his 2017 season. Absolutely, and and in my opinion, DeAndre Baker is not my top cornerback in this draft class, but the reason why I believe he can come off the board first is because of his versatility. He can fit in any scheme. He can play inside and on the outside and on the perimeter. He can play press man. He can play zone. He really affords you the ability to move him around, find mismatches, play him wherever the team finds most suitable in a given situation. And that kind of player can't be undervalued. He allows you flexibility and it allows you to keep your best players on the field in all situations. And as you said, the Bucks terrible secondary does force them to reach on a cornerback here inside the top five and that allows the Giants to capitalize at number six with Josh Allen edge defender out of Kentucky this is just a dream scenario type pick for the New York Giants he fits their scheme his play style is exactly what they need on the edge he's able to drop into coverage because he's very athletic but he can also thrive as a pass rusher with 31 and a half sacks in his career at Kentucky. Just one of the best players in the draft class. He's got bend around the edge. He's fast. He's versatile. And it's a perfect scheme fit. Just everything aligns. And like I said, dream scenario for the New York Giants if Josh Allen falls that's falls to number six. Yeah, when you have one of those high first round picks, there's absolutely nothing wrong with going best player available. I know some people may want them to go grab Dwayne Haskins, but as you said, he's not even your second favorite quarterback in this draft class. There could be someone that falls to them in the second round and they can start developing that player for the future solution to Eli Manning. And now moving right along to number seven, you have the Jacksonville Jaguars selecting the first offensive lineman in the draft and that is tackle Andrew Dillard and this one seems like a pretty obvious pick I think the Jaguars put a lot of emphasis on their offensive line in the draft their line ranked 26th in terms of pass blocking in 2018 and now they've just spent big money on Nick Foles this offseason so while he's been great under pressure you can check our free agent stat series on Instagram to get a little bit more insight into that but they'd be foolish to not protect their investment here offensive line is the clear pick for the Jaguars here Absolutely. And Dillard, the reason why I have him as the first offensive lineman off the board is because he is, in my opinion, the cleanest pass blocking left tackle prospect in the draft class. Jawan Taylor, as good as he is, is looking more as a right tackle to me. Jonah Williams is looking more as an interior defensive lineman. So I really just think Andre Dillard, as smooth as he is, as much as he moves very, very well, which is going to help him and in pass blocking situations it's just the better fit in my opinion and it also allows them to move cam robinson who was just picked in the first round just a few years ago to the right tackle position a very big brooding 
tackle who they've been using at left tackle, but I think will fit better as a right tackle. That is killing two birds with one stone. And now at number eight, we have another shakeup in the draft here, Dan. So take us through this one. At number eight, the Detroit Lions have been adamant that they are willing to trade back and the Cincinnati Bengals take advantage and they slide up and they grab quarterback Dwayne Haskins, a pure pocket passer, and keep Dwayne Haskins in the state of Ohio where he went to college. This is not really, in my opinion, the best pick, but I do believe somebody is going to make this move. I am not that high on Haskins, personally. I said earlier that he is not one or two. He is not three for me either. I have him ranked even behind Daniel Jones as far as quarterbacks is concerned. I really just, his lack of mobility genuinely scares me. And I get being able to win from the pocket. Tom Brady, Eli Manning have done it for years. But this is a different day and age. The game is changing. I do think that quarterbacks of today are going to have to deal with more pressure coming off the edge, faster guys coming off the edge, and more pressure interior defensive line because Aaron Donald is creating a huge wave of interior pressure in the NFL. And this is a copycat league. So I do think Dwayne Haskins is either going to have to improve his mobility or he's going to get left behind because he really doesn't impress me. But Cincinnati can't keep Andy Dalton at the helm. So they trade up and they grab Haskins. Well, it's really not a surprising move either. If the Bengals like Dwayne Haskins, they have a new regime running the team now, and new regimes oftentimes means new quarterbacks, unless they have a long-term solution already in place. And while some people, I guess you could make the argument that Andy Dolan is a capable quarterback, he'll be 32 this year and really hasn't had much success at all in terms of winning. So whether it's Haskins or whether they don't trade up, I think the quarterback route is a likely way that we'll see the Bengals shifting come draft day. Moving right on to number nine, and this one will fly through because it was the same pick as my mock draft 1.0. I am just obsessed with this fit. The, the, the Buffalo Bills grabbed DK Metcalf, and I went into it on the last mock draft episode, so I won't go into it too much this time. DK Metcalf, he is a hot name with his crushing the combine numbers, and the Bills need a number one wide receiver. DK Metcalf, perfect fit. Yeah, I mean, the more I look into this wide receiver class, I think there's a much thinner line between Metcalf and a lot of these other prospects than what a lot of other sources might be putting out. If, even if you look back to their tape at Ole Miss, DK Metcalf was not the number one wide receiver. It was it was AJ Brown running the much more diverse route tree. But I think for what the Bills are trying to do on offense, Metcalf is a solid fit. Josh Allen likes to throw the ball deep and he's not the most accurate. They just need a big target. They already have John Brown there. They have Robert Foster. He was stretching the field a little bit in 2018. And they have Zay Jones who can return to the slot where he did have some success. So I think Metcalf just letting him come in and not have to completely take over the entire offense, just let him scorch down the field and be that deep threat target that Josh Allen needs. I think that's a good pick for the Bills. And now moving right on to the 10th pick, we have the fallout from the earlier trade. We have the San Francisco 49ers picking here, and you have them selecting cornerback Greedy Williams, and Pro Football Focus graded the 49ers secondary dead last in terms of coverage last season. So I think selecting a prospect like Williams, who has the ideal size at 6'2", 182 pounds combined with solid speed, could be a solid addition to improving that unit. No doubt, and he has similar size and strength as Richard Sherman, the guy that he'll be mentored by while he's there and eventually be his successor. Now, Greedy Williams is a legit man-to-man corner, so he is not the best zone coverage. He's not the best at breaking on routes. He's not the best at identifying from a zone and read and reacting. But in pure man-to-man defense he is the best cornerback in the draft class he is strong he can stay with guys he's got enough speed to sit in their hip pocket and really make plays on the ball from underneath and in press he is strong and he can really disrupt timing routes and quick routes right off the snap and now at number 11 here, we have the pick that previously belonged to the Cincinnati Bengals before they traded up. And you have the Detroit Lions selecting a pick that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. You have cornerback Rocky Sin, who I don't think a lot of people have projected going in the first round of the draft. But I also think he's one of the more underrated players this year as well. So do you want to dive into that a little bit for us? Well, absolutely. This is a little bit of a bold prediction. But let me just say, for the Detroit Lions, the opposite side of Darius Slay has been a liability for quite a while. And Darius Slay isn't getting any younger. So not only do you need somebody opposite, but you need a succession plan. And I think 
Rocky Sin is really exactly what teams are looking for. At 6'2", 190, he does have the strength to play a man-to-man style defense. But he also is very talented in breaking on routes and playing in the zone. So he offers you that versatility. The only problem with Yasin and the reason why he's not higher on draft boards is because he was a one-year starter at Temple. That is not a very sexy pick. He didn't play the best talent week in and week out in college and he wasn't a three four year starter at temple he just started one season so that's why guys are not paying attention to him he might have all the intangibles everything you want as far as from an athletic or physical standpoint but when scouts don't see it on the field the production they get nervous and they don't really like the fact that they don't have enough volume body of work to go off of i'm gonna ignore that and say that i love the film that i watched and I'm going to take him for what he is. And I think he is going to be way better than people are expecting him to be. He's more versatile than Greedy Williams and Byron Murphy because he can do a little bit of both. And he has more physical prowess and abilities than a DeAndre Baker who is a little bit smaller and not as physically gifted. So this is just a guy who, yes, he's not highly touted like everybody else says. But in my opinion, he should be. And that's why he comes up all the way to number 11 to the Detroit Lions. Great pick for them. Yeah, a nice fit to pair with Darius Slay. They can now let Justin Coleman man the slot. And, you know, now their secondary is looking quite a bit different in 2019. So not a bad pick there. Now at number 12, we'll move over to the Green Bay Packers. And you have them selecting edge rusher Rashawn Gary. And this is a bit more of a hit or miss prospect because he was not insanely productive at all during his time in Michigan, but he is an athletic freak with tons of upside if he translates well to the NFL. So you're definitely calling your shot on this one. If it pans out, you'll be extremely happy if you're a Packers fan. If not, this could be a first round bust and you just have to take it for what it is. Well, the issue with Rashawn Gary, and you'll hear me touch on it again with Devin Bush's teammate, both of these guys are great prospects, but unfortunately they're more of athletes than they are football players right now. So they have to be developed in far, as far as football IQ, knowledge, and situational awareness. That's a problem. You know, you would really like that to be instinctual for the players that you're taking. And you really want to coach them in other aspects as far as like real solid technique and fundamentals, stuff like that. But you would really like this to be more of like an instinctual thing, the football IQ. You don't want to have to be questioning whether they're going to be able to hold up their assignments or whether they're going to miss assignments that's really unreliable and that's something that is going to really screw you in film watch and then ultimately rob you of a starting job and really force you to be just a situational player that comes in because you're athletically gifted rather than somebody that can be dependent on. So I really think Rashawn Gary has everything you want as from a physical standpoint. He's versatile, he's athletic, but he's also got a lot of power to him. He can affect pretty much anywhere on the defensive line. They have him from an edge. In a pass rushing situation, I have no problem with him swinging inside at 6'5", 280 pounds. He can definitely press from the interior of the defensive line. And he can also get on the edge and he could drop back into coverage because he's an absolute freak of nature as far as athletic. He really is. But, like I said, just more of an athlete than a football player right now. And that's always a little scary to me. Moving right on to 13th pick, the Miami Dolphins grab Daniel Jones, quarterback at a Duke. I actually like this pick because he is my third quarterback prospect personally over Dwayne Haskins. And I think he really is everything that they were hoping to get in Ryan Tannenhill. He's a big body. He's mobile. Tannenhill was the same thing. He was a former wide receiver, so he had athletic ability. He had a big body, big arm. And Daniel Jones is that, but he's a fine quarterback. He played for a long time at Duke. You know, 8,000 yards, 52 touchdowns. He can run the ball. He can run the ball into the end zone and the red zone. He's effective outside the pocket. And honestly, sometimes we talk about players and talk about how they don't play against the top talent. Well, sometimes it's also you have to take into fact that they don't play with the top talent. And Daniel Jones' completion percentage and overall production took a hit because clearly at times if you watch the film, Wide receivers who were dropping wide open looks, perfect passes. And that's something that he can't himself help. He's not playing with the best wide receivers in the nation. He's playing with guys who are attending Duke who probably don't have a future in football. And he's got to deal with what he was working with. And quite frankly, I think he's better than what we've seen on a lot of his film 
I like his game, and I think this was a great pick for the Miami Dolphins at 13. Yeah, and I mean, you might as well just keep it rolling right here over to your boys at Falcons at number 14. Absolutely, and this is something that I am actually becoming less of a fan of. As a Falcons fan, I personally hope they go cornerback or offensive line. you I, you got to love the guy that you had them select. But at 14, Ed Oliver falling that far in the draft, I couldn't not give them Ed Oliver. Everybody in the mainstream media believes that this is a perfect fit, and Ed Oliver is a guy who has been compared to Aaron Donald. So at 14, if he's on the board, the Falcons got to grab him and pair him with Tack McKinley, Vic Beasley, and Grady Jarrett to have one of the most stout defensive lines in all of football. Like I said, I think there's more pressing needs. But that being said, as far as the defense tackle position is concerned, I think this is a good opportunity to grab an absolute stud with a lot of high potential and still be able to find effective talent at the cornerback and right tackle position later on in the draft. And I think if Oliver didn't get injured in 2018, he could be in the conversation of a borderline top five pick at this time right now. And and the athleticism is just off the charts. His short shuttle time at the combine, 4.19 seconds. Just to put that into comparison, Antonio Brown, 4.18 seconds. Julio Jones, 4.25 seconds. Saquon Barkley, 4.24 seconds. Deshaun Jackson, 4.19 seconds. That's the exact same time as Ed Oliver. He's just a great athlete. I think at number 14, getting a blue chip prospect like this, you you got to go best player available when the best player available is of this caliber. No doubt about it. And here's another bold prediction, something that was not well received by our fan base when I released the mock draft. But I was going to say too, we got to ask our offensive line specialist, Mike Bow. Did he get back to you on this pick? Yeah, Mike Bow, definitely a huge Washington Redskins fan and I don't think he's a huge fan of forcing this pick either but I have the Washington Redskins taking Will Greer quarterback out of West Virginia now now Will Greer kind of fell out of popularity during this college season and people began to question whether he can really make the transition to be an NFL quarterback and I actually share this sentiment of confusion whether he could adjust and really make that leap but the Redskins if they do not take the quarterback, are forced to start Colt McCoy. And I really do not think that that is something that they are going to be comfortable going into the season with. If you're going to argue that Case Keenum is a better option than Colt McCoy, I'm going to say at least Colt McCoy gives you the comfortability of being there for years and years and years, as opposed to Case Keenum, Case Keenum who just arrived. So I really do believe that Will Greer could go off the board here at 15 if all the other quarterbacks are off the board because... The Redskins don't have another pick for, I believe, two whole rounds, and they don't have the draft capital in general to move up and grab a better quarterback. So whoever falls to them at 15 is who they're going to have to take. In this situation, that's Will Greer, and I actually, I'm not too comfortable with it, but I do really believe that the Redskins need that pick. And it's just a tough spot for the Redskins, man. Like you said, they don't have a lot of draft capital. They don't have a lot of cap space. They really don't have a lot to work with at all, and they have a lot of holes to fill. So just really tough for the Redskins franchise at this time. But like you said, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, that's really not what you want to rely on. So getting some type of succession plan in place, I mean, you, you got to make do with what you have. And I, I think that's what they could certainly do here. And now moving right on to number 16, you have the Carolina Panthers going offensive line with Jonah Williams. And I think he's the safest offensive lineman in the draft. He may not have the highest ceiling, but he's a polished player that's ready to make an impact right now. And the Panthers have to protect Cam Newton. We saw the issues with his shoulder last season. They cannot let him continuously get hit. I know his rushing, it's going to happen. But when he's in the pocket, you've got to keep him on his feet. I think offensive line needs to be addressed here. No doubt about it. And to me, it's a great fit for the Panthers because... You can really slide Jonah Williams kind of wherever you want. You're not going to put him at center, but he played left tackle at Alabama, and he's confident that he is a left tackle or a tackle in general. He could play either side probably, but he is adamant that he could play on the he could play on the edge on an offensive line. But he does project kind of a little bit more as a interior defense. He does project as a interior offensive lineman, in my opinion. And if that's the case, then you play him at guard. So really, he does have that versatility. You can move him inside or out. Obviously, you have to get him in the practice room and see if he's capable of handling that. But the way he projects, he's kind of like a tweener. Like, he's kind of in between. He can play tackle or he can play guard. And that versatility will be coveted. And like you said, he was the most polished in the draft class. Like, he might not be the strongest or he might not be the fastest. He might not be the most physically 
gifted offensive lineman, but he dominated last year in film, and he really cleaned up for Alabama. So a huge, huge addition for the Carolina Panthers all the way back at 16. Somebody who, in my mock draft 1.0, I had him going first overall to the Arizona Cardinals. For sure, though, not every first-round pick has to end up being a pro Bowl type player. You just need someone to come in and get the job done, and that's exactly what Jonah Williams can do here. Up next is a... Whew, I caught a lot of heat for this one. <laughs> At number 17, the New York Giants take Devin White, linebacker, out of LSU. I think the Giants fans were happy with this <laughs> one, though. Uh, Giants fans better be happy with this situation if it actually play as, if it actually played out as is because they not only get Josh Allen a perfect fit in their defensive scheme on the edge, but then they get Devin White, perfect middle linebacker for their scheme, who can literally do it all. People have him ranked more inside the top 10 if not in the top five. And I get it. It's not that I don't think he's the best linebacker in the draft class, but just part of my thought process here is Ed Oliver, who probably go in the top five in my opinion, fell to 14. Devin White falls to 17. This is because the huge need for quarterback at the top of the draft forces stud defenders to fall in the draft. It's just the way it is. And even the Giants included in those quarterback needy teams and they didn't even get one so they're just taking advantage of the way the draft falls in this situation and that's why maybe it's not Devin White but I will stick by this prediction that some stud defenders are going to fall in this draft class and some back end some back end teams are going to reap the benefits for sure and just to speak on Devin White a little bit I mean he was extremely productive last season 133 tackles and he still has plenty of room for growth he was initially projected as a running back. So he hasn't been playing linebacker his entire life. He's still learning the position, which is insane to think about. So this is a guy that could continue to improve as a pro. Solid pick here if he does fall to the Giants or for whatever team manages to grab him. And now number 18, we have another offensive tackle coming off the board. You have the Minnesota Vikings selecting Jawan Taylor. And Taylor might be the best offensive lineman in this draft. He has great athleticism for his size at 6'5", 340 pounds. And he's versatile, which is exactly what the Minnesota Vikings need. They can move him to left or right tackle. And if you watch the Vikings in 2018, you know they have needs on both sides of their line. Yeah, not much analysis needed here. The Vikings offensive line has been god-awful for years. They should pretty much just take the best offensive lineman available with every single one of their picks. <laughs> Basically. Because they have so much talent on the defense and the offensive side of the ball, and it's just being ruined by a porous offensive line, so... No shock here. They go offensive line. Jawan Taylor, the best remaining offensive lineman on the board. Up next, the Tennessee Titans at 19. They go best player available. A guy who should not be still on the board. Not much to break down here. Montez Sweat. He killed the combine. He's awesome in his film. He is. He destroyed every top-tier offensive lineman that's in this draft class. Destroyed them. I mean, every, a, every a, single one a of them. few months back, Sweat was considered a borderline top-five pick. That's what he's being projected as. Absolutely. But another defender who is a stud and falls in the draft a little bit because of the because of the high desire to grab the quarterbacks. And, of course, we've all heard about the heart condition. They say shouldn't be too big of a deal, but regardless, you know teams are always skeptical, skeptical to reach on a guy who has health concerns that could really be out of his control. Yeah, any first-round pick that's a high-equity pick, there's a lot of money and your team's future riding on that selection. So you want to make sure you're being as risk-averse as possible in this situation. But I think the Titans will love his upsides, his athleticism, his ability to rush from the outside. Just a great fit for an already pretty strong defense there in Tennessee. No doubt. And at number 20, the Steelers, they grab Devin Bush, linebacker out of Michigan. And this is another guy who's more of an athlete than a pure football player right now. He's a little bit more polished than his teammate Rashawn Gary, but this is just a great fit because the Steelers have really never replaced that hole left by Shazier. They haven't had a linebacker who can cover, who can play sideline to sideline, who can fill gaps and really do it all. Shazier was that player, and heartbreakingly, he's been, you know, obviously removed from football. If you've seen, he's clearly doing very well doing he's doing box, box jumps, jumps and stuff yeah. like that awesome love to see that for Shazier he swears that one day he'll make it back to the NFL and our prayers are with you we hope you do but at the meantime the Steelers need to address that hole left by Shazier that they never patched and Devin Bush is just the perfect mold he has the athletic ability to cover 
to play sideline to sideline, and he can also blitz and affect the run game by reading, reacting, and filling holes. Like I said, he has a little bit of ways to go as far as learning the game and being more of a student of the game, especially at the middle linebacker position. You're not going to throw the play-calling responsibilities to him immediately, but no doubt Devin Bush gives you everything you want from an athletic standpoint and all the potential in the world for the Steelers. Yeah, really nothing to add on there. That's exactly what I have for Devin Bush and why this would be an excellent fit. So we can just move right along to number 21. And you have the Seattle Seahawks selecting defensive tackle Christian Wilkins. And Wilkins, he's a great prospect. He has ridiculous speed and athleticism in creating interior pressure. Just go back and watch him in the national championship game. The guy was unstoppable. And that's exactly how the Seahawks want to run their team. They want to run the ball. They want to have a strong defense. Wilkins to the Seahawks at 21. I, I love that pick. I literally want to read my little write-up for Christian Wilkins because this is going to put a lot in perspective for you. Right off the bat, the best player available trend is in full effect at this point in my mock draft. All the top guys who slid because the elevated premium on quarterbacks are now going to start coming off the board quickly. Wilkins is a stud and has a rare combination of size and quickness that is ideal for the pass rushing. That's ideal for pass rushing, but still has to be developed in the run game. I'll cut it off there, but pretty much, yes... Wilkins is an elite defender and he is respected as a top 10 talent in this draft class but because of the premium on quarterbacks and not only that but to his own fault he is not a well-rounded player he is more of a pass rushing specialist from the interior defense alignment position and that's kind of the problem with Clemson right now is they have so many defense alignment coming out not too many of them are well-rounded players Dexter Lawrence is more of a run stuffer than a pass rusher. Christian Wilkins is more of a pass rusher than a run stuffer. Cleveland Farrell doesn't bring everything off the edge that you would hope for. But nevertheless, the Seahawks grab the best defender still available on the draft board and definitely an impact player on the interior of their defensive line. Moving right on to the Ravens at number 22. They take Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. And most people have Marquise Brown as the top wide receiver in this draft class and I see why he's very similar to Deshaun Jackson he gives you big playability but he's still very smooth in his routes the only thing obviously that scares me is you could draft him in the first round and not have him for the entire 2019 season with the injury he sustained late in his senior year of college so although he has all the talent in the world and he's a tremendous prospect the injury concern obviously is going to make him fall a little bit in the draft and falling to a team that definitely needs wide receiver help in the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, apart from the injury, this seems like the obvious choice here. The Ravens lost John Brown and Michael Crabtree in free agency and Lamar Jackson, he needs a threat in the passing game to target on the perimeter and Brown speed seems like a perfect pairing for Lamar Jackson's arm. The guy can literally take off for the end zone anytime he touches the ball, kind of Tariq Hill-esque. So to get Lamar Jackson a weapon like that, that the team was lacking last year and it's definitely lacking now, solid, solid pick for this offense. And now we'll move right on to number 23. You have the Houston Texans selecting offensive tackle Cody Ford. And if any team needs to address their offensive line, we know it's the Houston Texans after watching Deshaun Jackson be under pressure more than any other quarterback in the NFL last season on his way to a league-leading 62 sacks. Ford didn't have the best combine, but like I said earlier, that's not something to hang your hat on. He's a powerful guard who should block well and open up some lanes in the run game as well. I actually think, for me, Cody Ford projects more as a right tackle. But I definitely see why you say guard, because a lot of people have him slated as playing guard. But I think he's tough and nasty enough to actually play right tackle and really be a force in the run game. Yes, he didn't test well, like you mentioned, but that's because, in my opinion, where he is not as much of a gym rat as some of these other guys, he is a tenacious football player. He, is, he has the rare ability to... Not just make his blocks, but move defenders. He has a very strong lower body. You really got to see, and I hate to say it this way, but you got to see his thighs and his ass, dude. He has so <laughs> much power. I'm not kidding, dude. Like, significantly bigger than every other offensive lineman in the class. You see them stand next to him, and he just literally has so much power that he generates from his legs, from the, his lower body, that he can really drive defenders. It's really impressive. I think it doesn't show up so much in workouts but it shows up on the film on the tape 
And that's why I think Cody Ford, one of my personal favorite offensive linemen in this draft class, would be a huge impact for the, t for the Houston Texans. And next up here at number 24, you have the Oakland Raiders fully investing in their defensive line, pairing their previous pick of Quinn and Williams with defensive end Clellan Farrell. And I think Farrell has to have one of the highest floors in this draft class. He might not have all of the intangibles and athletic ability as a lot of these other players at ceiling might not be there. But again, like I said earlier, not every first round pick has to be a Pro Bowl prospect. And I think Clellan Farrell could actually get there. But you just need someone to come in and do their job, especially when you have so much equity in the first two rounds like the Raiders do. You just want your picks to hit. Not everyone has to be a super, uh, superstar. You just want them to hit and do their job. And that's exactly what I think this pick should do for them. Well, yeah, and in my opinion, I mentioned earlier how not all the Clemson defenders on the defensive line are so well-rounded. Well, Farrell is actually the exception. He is actually very well-rounded from the defense end position. He has enough power to win in the run game and in the pass rushing game with that power, but he also has enough speed and enough bend to get around the edge. He is pretty versatile. I think he can impact all three downs. He was productive in college, a great fit for the Raiders, and a home run hit if they and a home run pick if they get him at 24. Up next is the Philadelphia Eagles, and this is a team that really has a ton of talent already and realistically because they have a ton of talent I just patched pretty much one of their holes that they acquired because of free agency Jordan Hicks the middle linebacker left he went to the Arizona Cardinals so the Eagles now have an abandoned spot for a middle linebacker Mal Mac Wilson linebacker out of Alabama is a perfect fit in my opinion a lot of people are falling on Mac Wilson, but I do not see why. I get he didn't test well. I get he's a little undersized. He's not ideally projects, projecting into the middle linebacker position, but he played for Alabama. He's got incredible athletic abilities as far as his change of direction and ability to read and cover and make plays on the football from underneath. He constantly got his hand on footballs when quarterbacks lost him behind a defense alignment or something like that and I really like Mac Wilson's game he will immediately be the Mike linebacker the team captain the team captain the leader of the defense probably the play caller really love Mac Wilson and I love the fit for the Philadelphia Eagles and it's not uncommon at all to see Alabama players get drafted a little bit higher than some people would grade them out. So I could definitely see Wilson slipping into the first round here. And I'll take it over from here, moving right on to number 26. I love this pick for the Colts. You have them taking wide receiver Nikhil Harry. And I'm not mad about this one at all. You know, 6'3", good speed. He performed well at the combine. And the Colts certainly have the need. They don't need someone to come in and be the number one guy. They already have T.Y. Hilton for that. I know they already have Eric Ebron and Devin Funches to be those bigger body end zone, red zone threats, but they're not the type of caliber player that Nikhil Harry is. They don't provide that same level of upside. So I think getting a blue chip wide receiver that I really don't think is far off from what you get if you take someone like DK Metcalf, I would personally like to see the Colts maybe wait, go defense, and hopefully they'll, because they do pick 34th, so very early in the second round, maybe Nikhil Harry falls there, so I wouldn't mind waiting, but you know, grabbing a player of this caliber to supplement that defense, give Andrew Luck a solid big body target, you I, you got to love that pick. Well, absolutely. I agree with your analysis as far as they do have a couple of defensive positions that they need to hit on. I mean, that's right? also in a perfect world, though. You know, ideally, in hindsight, you can say, oh, they could have waited till 34 and still grabbed him. But you don't know that. And if they don't get... Well, regardless, I do agree with you. I think wide receiver is a need. I think that's why I gave them Nikhil Harry here, somebody that I've been a huge fan of for a very long time. You're well aware of that. I turned you on to Nikhil Harry closer to the end of the college football season than we are to the draft. But I won't get into it right now. But I do think that this is a pick that is only successful if they hit on a defender later in the draft because they do have a need at defensive tackle. And this is a two-round mock draft. And I will just say, I won't get into it yet, but you're in for a very pleasant surprise when we get into the second round. And... Uh, we cover the Colts again, but we'll move right on here to the Oakland Raiders at number 27. You just left me hanging big time there, cliffhanger. <laughs> we'll get right into the Oakland Raiders at 27. And this is a guy that not everybody has projected in the first round, but Tavon Coney, I'm sure I'm messing up that name, but Tavon Coney, linebacker out of Notre Dame, was an absolute stud. He's a little undersized, but he is, in my opinion, very similar to Deion Jones, where he could just affect the game in all 
facets. And even though he's undersized, he plays bigger and better than his size may project him as. He can really play sideline to sideline. He can cover. He can affect the run. He can blitz. You know, he had 313 tackles in his career at Notre Dame. So highly productive and definitely a huge leader. Smart player with high IQ who can immediately step in and be your Mike linebacker, call your plays, make sure everybody is lined up appropriately. And I think that's huge for the Raiders. I think that's definitely something of need because with all the draft capital that they have, they are going to have a lot of young, new faces in their building. And those guys are going to be need to be led. I think Tevon Coney is the perfect pick for the Oakland Raiders here at 27. And honestly, what I think is a lot of guys don't have him that high. But I think at the end of the 2019 season, you would see Tevon Coney as a steal at number 27. And I do think he does underwhelm a little bit in terms of speed and athleticism and just overall talent outside of his propensity to make tackles. You alluded to the 300 tackles he registered during his three years as a starter at Notre Dame. But he just seems like the type of player that's constantly getting after it, really giving it his all on every single down. And that's exactly what you want. Those are the type of players that make a difference. Those are the type of players that you want to invest in. So while he might not have all the tools right now, that's not what the Raiders need either. They also need some players that they can develop. And like you said, this could end up being a huge steal at the back end of the first round. And number 28, the Chargers select Jeffrey Simmons, defense tackle Mississippi State. Now, I would love to see the Colts. Grab Simmons. Yeah, awesome. I, I get why. But here's the thing with Simmons is he was a physically very gifted guy. Don't get me wrong. But I actually see him falling out of the first round. It's been a while since that video came out of him in an altercation with a woman. But that is something that I do think is going to hurt his draft stock. He is literally probably a top 10 defender in this draft class. He probably deserves to be a top 10, top 15 pick. But I do think Simmons falls. That being said, as much as I think he should fall into the second round, if the Chargers, with their huge need at defensive tackle, pretty much the only real huge need that they have right now, if Jeffrey Simmons is available, I don't think they could pass up on it. I think they'll probably do their homework, do their due diligence, learn the fact that this altercation was a few years back, and give this guy a huge chance and... I think they'd be very, very pleased in order to do so. Yeah, well, on top of that video that surfaced as well, he also tore his ACL last season. Yeah. So that's that's also going to set him back quite a bit. But like you said, great fit here for the Chargers and a dynamic player, someone that could be selected on a talent alone basis at the top end of the draft for sure. And now moving right on to number 29, you have the Kansas City Chiefs going cornerback here with Byron Murphy. And he showed great ball hawking instincts in college. And we saw the Kansas City Chiefs defense, or I should say their secondary, last season. They played pretty well at home, but overall they were allowing... 35 points per game on the road and that's not something that you can allow of course you don't want to rely on Patrick Mahomes to be throwing 50 touchdowns every single year and you want you don't want to put the weight on your quarterback shoulders like that so getting a secondary that can keep them in games keep them competitive this this pick here is a great start to doing so and they lose Peters to the Rams and then Steven Nelson to the Steelers this year in free agency so they've had a couple of good corners in the past few years but they've all exited the building you need to re replace what you lost and Byron Murphy is without a doubt at this point at 29 the best cornerback available quite frankly honestly he's my favorite cornerback in this draft class because like you said his ball hawking ability he really knows how to get his hands on the football six interceptions but 20 pass deflect 20 passes deflected that's huge that's making big plays and really a great fit here in my opinion at 29 moving on to number 30 the Packers with their second pick in the first round of the 2019 draft, grab Jonathan Abram, safety out of Mississippi State. Abram is projected as an in-the-box, laying-the-wood type of safety, the enforcer, uh, Keon O'Neal, Landon Collins type. You know, they signed Adrian Amos in free agency to be their single-high free safety. Now they need to grab a safety who can play in the box for them. And Abram is a perfect fit, a leader, a productive starter at Mississippi State, a clean prospect, and really just makes a lot of sense here at 30. And now moving right on to the 31st pick, we have the Los Angeles Rams selecting defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence. And 
Lawrence is a monster of a defensive tackle at 6'5", 340 pounds, and has showed exceptional skills at both stuffing the run and pressuring the quarterback. As a prospect alone, I think he likely would have gone a quite a bit earlier than 31, but a positive drug test that kept him out of the college football playoffs will certainly set him back, and he could just be sitting there for the Los Angeles Rams to grab here at 31. And we'll move right on to the very last pick of the first round. The New England Patriots select TJ Hawkinson, the best tight end out of Iowa. He is honestly drawing a lot of comparisons to a lot of top-tier guys like Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz, who are a little bit more athletic than the tight end that just left New England and Rob Gronkowski. But nevertheless, they lose a very dynamic player to retirement in Rob Gronkowski. And they replace that with TJ Hawkinson, somebody who is going to do similar things as far as dominate in the run game with blocking, which was huge part of Rob Gronkowski's game. And also a reliable pass option in the passing game. Somebody who is just a physically talented specimen and really a gifted athlete as far as football is concerned. And Hawkinson would be a home run pick for the Pats. A lot of people have him going much earlier than 32. Yeah, I was going to say, I would be a little surprised just with all the hype surrounding him after the combine if he is still sitting here at 32. But this pick just makes too much sense if the stars align here for the Patriots. That wraps up the first round of Dan's Mock Draft 2.0. And there's some picks in the second round that you wanted to run through as well, right? So do you want to yeah, highlight gonna... some of those for us? Yeah, I'm going to quickly touch on just a couple of, you know, key big name selections. And I'll actually start out in the second round, 34th pick. Overall, the Colts taking Jerry Tillery defense tackle from Notre Dame. So I said earlier when we were talking about the Colts how the Nikhil Harry success was actually contingent on making sure that they still got that stud defender that they needed the defense tackle position. Well, just so you know, Jerry Tillery was rated as Pro Football Focus's number two interior defense alignment on their entire draft board, right behind Quinton Williams, before guys like Dexter Lawrence, Ed Oliver, and Christian Wilkins. So that is high praise for Tillery. He's productive at Notre Dame. He's 6'7", 305. He's a huge defender. He is more athletic than somebody at 300 pounds usually is, but that's because of the 6'7 height that he offers. Really a freak athlete and a stud, just a great pick for the Colts, in my opinion, for a huge need and really makes all the difference for them. I like it, man. I'm not going to be complaining about the Nikhil Harry pick in the first round. If, that, <laughs> if that's how that works out, I'll be pretty psyched about that. But to move on, you know, I will say at 35, the Raiders continued to build their defense with Trayvon Mullen. At 36, the 49ers grab Zach Allen, Edge from Boston College, somebody who I think can really step in and be just as impactful as the defender. Everyone was so upset that they traded back away from and avoided was Nick Bosa. Everybody on Instagram was grilling me about how the 49ers would have just taken Bosa and moved on. But if you looked at the whole draft, they go and get a similar player and somebody who could be just as impactful on the edge for them in Zach Allen out of Boston College. The Giants at 37 also have a, have a huge need at offensive line and they fill that with Dalton Risner somebody who would be a huge score in the second round I said earlier that I really wanted the Falcons to take either a tackle or cornerback rather than Ed Oliver in the first round so they at 45 take Julian Love cornerback out of Notre Dame another corner and another Notre Dame defender who was a little you know undervalued in my opinion and would be a huge pick for the Falcons being that Julian Love really does project more as a nickel inside corner. That's exactly what they need. They have Desmond Trufant on the outside and they have Oliver who they just drafted last year on the outside as well. So now Julian Love steps in and takes the nickel corner position. My favorite safety in this draft class and probably my favorite prospect overall falls all the way to 49 to the Browns. Taylor Rapp safety out of Washington can really do it all type of guy and he drastically improves the Cleveland Browns defense. He can play over the top free safety in my opinion or he could fill that Jabril Peppers role in the box strong safety. As I said for the Vikings and pick 50 they should just take every single offense alignment and they do just that. They take Titus Howard offensive tackle Alabama State improving that mediocre offensive line from 2018. The Texans do the same thing with Max Sharping offensive tackle out of Northern Illinois. Two teams who had to improve their offensive line do. 
the Eagles go and grab a cornerback that I'm very high on that I would be very surprised to see drop all the way into the second round. Justin Lane, cornerback out of Michigan. And another cornerback who's in a similar position, Amani Oriori. I definitely butchered that name. Cornerback out of Penn State. He is another talented defender who ends up with the Colts at number 59. So they get another talented defender in the de- at the back end of their defense. How do you feel about that? I love it. I think we know the Colts offense is in place. Whatever you want to say about the running game, we know Marlon Mack, he may not be an elite level player, but they have the options in the passing game, especially if they're going to be selecting Nikhil Harry. They have Andrew Luck at quarterback. Their offensive line was one of the strongest in the NFL last year. And their defense surprised people, but there weren't a lot of big names, a lot of really impact players, just a lot of people really doing their job, of course, outside of Darius Leonard. So I think focusing on the defensive side of the ball in the early rounds of the draft, you know, the Colts don't have a lot of holes that they need to fill. They just have to upgrade. And I think that's exactly what those moves would do. So I love it. No doubt about it. And I'll just wrap up with two more noticeable picks to end out the second round. And at number 63, the Chiefs take Jalen Ferguson, edge out of LA Tech. They lost D. Ford, who was a huge pass rusher for them last year. And they bring in Jalen Ferguson, who at 6'5", 262, was an uber-productive pass rusher. In fact, the most productive pass rusher in NCAA history with 45 sacks in his career. He was obviously at Louisiana Tech not playing against the very best competition, but he dominated every single snap, and that's what you want to see. And with the last pick in the second round, the New England Patriots continue a trend that they've been doing for a very long time, even though they've had Tom Brady and Tom Brady's adamant that he's going to keep playing football. They draft quarterback Ryan Finley out of NC State, the best remaining quarterback available. And, you know, the Patriots never really have any dire needs. So they just take a guy who possibly could end up being the successor, the succession plan to Tom Brady or just a guy that they can fluff up and trade out and get value back for. They always do it. They did it with Brissett. They did it with Garoppolo. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So draft capital for the future. Absolutely. And that rounds out my two-round mock draft. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed putting it together for you. Worked really hard on it. I caught a lot of slack for some of the bold predictions and some of the not-so-popular you know, picks. But And also, catching the slack, that's part of the fun of putting together a mock draft and putting your opinion out there. Not everyone's going to agree with it. And we love to talk football, and we love to hear from you guys that are listening to the show. So if there's any picks that you guys don't agree with or... Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If there's any posts, any content that we're putting out with information or projections that you guys don't agree with, reach out to us. We like to talk football. Voice your opinions. Let us know. We love hearing from you guys. That's part of what makes it so much fun. So thank you guys so much for all of your responses. And thank you guys every week for continuing to tune in. As always, my name is Michael Bowling, joined with my co-host Daniel Ronan. Until next week, guys. 